page 25 for the requesting of Dhamma teaching. Dhamma Jaloka Dipati Sahampati Katanjali Yesterday we were talking about bowing, we mentioned bowing, and after the talk last night, you know, bowing is sort of a, is one of the many things about it, it's just a way of showing respect, and so, <clears throat> after the talk last night I walked out and John kind of, you know, bowed his head, kind of in a, um, uh, affectionately formal sign of respect. <laughs> and uh, and so I, uh, you know, bowed my head down, maybe just a little bit lower, and so and so then he bowed just a little bit lower, <laughs> yeah, a bit lower, and so so I bowed just a bit a bit lower, and then he bowed like way down, <laughs> bending at the waist way down. So then so then I crawled on the floor, I went way on the floor, stretched out like one of these Tibetan prostrations, all the way at his feet. And I couldn't believe it, but then he got down on the floor <laughs> and stretched all the way flat, our heads kind of nearly touching, and uh, and then we then we started to giggle, <laughs> and then Becca walked in, saw <laughs> the other two of us lying on the floor and sprawled out head to head, <laughs> and we couldn't even explain what we were doing. <laughs> <laughs> the story finally comes out. <laughs> Were you guys looking for a mouse? Or? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Back to the Dhammata. Motasa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Namo Tassa Bhagavato Arahato Sama Sambutasa Buddhang Damang Sanghang Namasami Uh, these days, this age, with things moving so quickly, with the speed of uh, modern society, with the technological advances progressing so quickly, one of the um, more mental or emotional results of that karma tends to be an increase in uh, fear, apprehension, stress, anxiety. 
and sometimes just exhaustion, you know, just getting really weary, you know, weary, <clears throat> weary from uh, from the amount, or just uh, weary from the barrage of information. So there's there's good um, reasons for apprehension, even though we we have all this and and uh, when. When uh, when things are so-called so advanced, it's good just to come back down to earth. <clears throat> really get down to earth. Learn how to relax. Learn how to relieve the tension. And getting down to earth is what being out in nature is all about. Uh, literally, getting down to earth, living on the ground in a tent, sleeping close to the earth, walking meditation on the earth. Because no matter how much progress there is in the so-called world and society, you know, the simple basic facts of life are still always going to come back into play. They can't be denied. And so it's always good to just come back to sati, basic fact of life, sati. And one of the definitions of sati is to remember. Mindfulness is one way you can define it, but another aspect of sati is uh, to remember, to, re- to recall, to remember uh, the teachings, to remember at the moment what's a wise way to respond, being quick enough with our mind that we're able to keep up keep up with the speed of things happening externally, but mainly keep up with the speed of our own mind. The quicker our mind is, the higher, uh, more highly educated our mind is, uh, the more highly educated our defilements are, the more uh, quickly uh, our mind can move. So if you're able to multitask, then... <laughs> means your, your mindfulness has to multitask too. <laughs> and uh, that sati, that sati is uh, a kind of a reminder. So no matter what it is, no matter how fast it's moving, no matter what the emotion, no matter what the train of thought, a thought is just a thought. Just come back to this basic Sati, remembering. A sight is just a sight. Hearing is just hearing. So, these basic reflections or recollections of sati can be very useful in a wide variety of circumstances, like all circumstances. Um, You know, if we see something that we don't like, if we, if our sati is quick enough, we just remember, ah, a sight is just a sight. It's like seeing is just seeing. And if we, if we take it deeper, then we really see that it's, it's not just a, a helpful reflection to stop us from starting an unwholesome train of thought, but it's, uh, it's really a whole insight into anatta, 
you've got the for for seeing to happen. You've got a you've got an eye. You've got uh, what seems to be an external object, and, but then you've got consciousness. And uh, if one of those is missing, you don't have seeing. Seeing doesn't happen, and so you have to be paying attention some, to something with consciousness for for seeing to actually occur. Otherwise, you literally don't see it. <clears throat> but in that process, that doesn't mean there is a um, any being, any self, anyone who's actually doing the seeing. It's simply you know, the body's uh, working, the mind is working, the brain, the nervous system, everything is kind of functioning to allow seeing to happen, uh, to allow hearing to happen. So that really simplifies life. No matter how complicated things are, seeing is just seeing. Hearing is just hearing, no matter what we hear. We hear, hear someone give us praise. Oh, you're so wonderful, I love you so much. You're the meaning of my life. Well, sound is just sound. A few years later, the same person saying, You are the, such a jerk. <laughs> Can't believe I ever loved you. <laughs> You're a cruel, heartless monster. When you just sound, it's just a sound. <laughs> sound is just a sound. Impermanent changes. And certainly with moods and emotions, right? I mean, when they when they come up, they can seem so real. Like, and if we can just catch ourselves, even just to remind ourselves and tap into what we really already know, is that, well, look, you know, this is a passing mental state, but, but just to remind ourselves of sati, that, you know, coming back, mood is just a mood. Yeah. Just a mood. And then somehow we, we don't go too far away from the yellow zone in the fun meter. And, um, you know, the yellow zone may seem like it's kind of bland. It's not, you know, like, whoopee, over here in the red zone. But it's not, uh, it's not, it's definitely not in the blues. Uh, but there's a certain peace that comes from, oh yeah, been there, done that. I've seen this before. I've seen this emotion before. I've seen um, this reaction before. I don't have to fall for that. I've uh, I've heard this before. I've heard people tell me this before. <laughs> and it's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. And then, uh, uh, rather than life becoming dull, it's more like that uh, a peace that comes from real equanimity is then closer at hand. So this is a very useful basic teaching. Sight is just a sight. Sound is just a sound. Whatever we sense, you know, with the body. Comfort, it's just comfort. Discomfort, it's just discomfort. (coughs) 
One of the things which um, is a big part of life is food, and remembering that food is just food, or eating is just eating. I remember when I first started out uh, going to Dhamma talks in a Zen tradition, the Japanese teacher went to see. It was like, you know, kind of typical enigmatic, somewhat broken English way of explaining it. So, eating, eating, only eating. Eating eats eating. Eating eats katagiri, his name. <laughs> Food eats katagiri. <laughs> well, I'm like... <laughs> it's like... But, you know, he said it with such profundity. <laughs> you, knew, you knew there was some very deep meaning there. Is a eating eats eating. I, well, I really couldn't argue. Yeah. And, but, <laughs> but it, as time as time goes by, <laughs> uh, actually, start to uh, recognize that yeah, eating is just eating. But eating is a huge part of life. And uh, uh, for example, you know, when we really try to make eating into meditation, then. There's so many different ways we can reflect upon it, but when it comes right down to it, no matter what food it is, it's just elements, right? You know, it's elements of um, solidity, fluidity, um, different tasting elements, uh, all kind of mixed together, especially if you have one bowl and it's really mixed together. And whether whether it's, you know, your favorite or not your favorite, where does that come from? It's just it's just elements, right? And uh, the process of 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 putting elements into our body, you know, what's that all about? Is it just another fun thing we do, or you know, basically our body is just elements. Elements go in, elements go out. There's constant interchange with every breath. Elements come in, elements go out. you really make eating into meditation, um, a lot can be learned because we tend to re- approach eating in the same way we approach life. You know, scarf it down without mindfulness or obsessively keep everything separate and just eat this, this, this in a very meticulous way. Um, we get very picky about, you know, certain types of food has to be just this right way, or what's considered healthy. I mean, boy, you know, food can get so complicated <coughs> with all the dietary concerns and. And this is healthy. Oh, don't do, don't eat that. And and you know, this is this is you know immoral. And and this is genetically modified. And 
And all of that, you know, has a validity to it. But when it comes right down to it, eating is just eating. Food is just food. Uh, It's just elements, this interchange of elements. And uh, that helps to simplify life. Otherwise, life can get so complicated. Sometimes too many concepts. Sometimes we think too much. Bowing is just bowing. We're talking about bowing and... and uh, We can project a lot on bowing. Oh, it's you know it's a beautiful devotional act. Oh, it's kind of a weird Asian subservience. Oh, it's worshiping idols. Oh, it's who does he think he is? I'm not going to bow to him. You know, what do we project on? But bowing is just bowing. It's just movement of the body. And uh, like many things, we can make it into what we want. So, if we're skillful, we look how to we look for ways to make ordinary things uh, into something useful. So, even if you just see bowing as bowing, then you're there with mindfulness. You can also see bowing as a way of. Uh, an act of devotion to our highest aspirations. Now we generally tend to bow to shrines with a Buddha image. Of course, um, the Buddha image is there just to uh, represent what we would aspire towards in life, the qualities of the Buddha, the enlightenment of the Buddha, the wisdom, the purity of the Buddha. And especially in Asia, the head, or the highest part of the body is considered uh, the more sacred part of the body. And so lowering the head, voluntarily lowering the head, is a sign of showing respect. And lowering the head all the way to the floor um, in a bow is a sign showing a sign of great respect. It's like placing my ego at the feet of the shrine or, or you know, placing, placing my, um, my respect. You know, uh, in recollection of my highest aspiration. So if we're able to do that each time we bow, even in some way, just you know, uh, reflecting, you know, what am I bowing to? What does the Buddha symbolize? And then that's a great way of constantly bringing up wholesome emotions you know, or coming back, you know, keep affirming um, the direction of our life. Ajahn Chah would, would uh, really encourage people to bow a lot, not just in the meditation hall, but going into one's hut. Every time we go into our hut, I'm encouraged to bow three times. And we leave the hut, bow three times. Come back in the hut, bow three times. Go out to urinate, bow three times. Come back in, you bow three times. And by the end of the day, you know, we've, <clears throat> we've probably bowed you know, easily a hundred times through the morning chanting, the evening chanting, bowing to visiting monks coming, seeing your monks you bow, at the mealtime you bow, in the kuti you bow. And 
um, at the least, bowing is just bowing. And fundamentally, bowing is just bowing. But as a way of bringing up uh, a wholesome aspiration, it can uh, do a lot to really plant seeds and consciousness. So, I encourage simple practice because, you know, it's easy to make everything complicated. You can make Buddhist practice very complicated. You can make meditation very complicated. But at least in life, if, even if you doubt, you know, you, you have a lot of doubt, you don't know which way to go, uh, you don't know which thing to dedicate to, not even sure which type of meditation to follow, <clears throat> anytime doubt or hesitation arises, at least you can come back to a practice like this. You know, seeing is just seeing. You know, just being aware, sati, remembering. Remember this right here. Seeing, this seeing. I'm seeing. There is seeing happening. Or, or watch that relationship between seeing and I am seeing. Right? How quickly the sense of possessiveness of that sensory experience creates a sense of self. Right? I possess it. It's not just seeing, but I am seeing. It's my sight. It's my seeing. I am hearing how it reinforces a sense of self. But if we can really get down closer and closer to the fundamentals of reality, closer to reality, it's just seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, sensing with the body, impressions in the mind, then uh, life's not so complicated. There was a story in the suttas. There's a story in the suttas that uh, I've always enjoyed. It's in the... Um, I came across this when I was still a very young monk and uh, ever since that time I've, I've really liked this story. It's called The uh, um, Story of Bahia. And, uh, and a very simple teaching that the Buddha gave him. Bahia was uh, uh, an ascetic in India. He wasn't, he wasn't a Buddhist ascetic, um, but yeah, at that time there were many, many different uh, traditions and sects and doing all uh, different types of practices. And <clears throat> he was known as Bahia of the bark cloth. Um, he actually, uh, as part of a, his living simply, he would wear cloth or clothes made of bark, which sounds uh, pretty rough, you know, if you think of bark. <laughs> but, but um, okay, I'll diverge for a minute, but um, not so long ago, even in Thailand, the forest monks uh, knew how to make cloth from certain types of bark, certain bark of certain types of trees. Uh, if you if you pounded it in a, in a certain way, you'd actually get uh, something which is like you know really rough cloth, which could then you know be actually be sewn and worn. <clears throat> and um, 
uh, Ajahn Chah's successor, Lumpo Liam, and we first took him to our remote monastery on the Burmese border, just totally, really remote, one of, the, one of the most remote hermitages you find in Thailand. And uh, he is an expert in, in natural medicine, um, knowing what plants will do what, and uh, you know, one of the, the last of the generation who really knows the forest. Uh, in a way, you know, and walking through the forest with him, he'd say, you know, if you mix the, the resin from that tree with the resin from, from that tree, you get like epoxy, you know, that, that's a really solid glue. And, you know, that tree, you know, we used to take the bark and, and uh, you know, you describe this process uh, of how to make it into a uh, cloth-like substance. And, and then, uh, you know, pointing out what different leaves and plants could be used for uh, different illnesses. That's a knowledge which um, some was completely died out, but in the time of Ajahn Chah was um, very common, and the forest monks would rely on that knowledge of of the forest lore uh, for their for their medicine um, for a lot of their needs. So this is Bahia of the bark cloth, and uh, now Bahia was was living in a uh, uh, ways away, kind of a remote location, a place called Suparaka in India, and uh, it was there by the seashore. And he was respected as a, as an ascetic, uh, uh, living a renunciant life, and um, people would give him donations and support him uh, with bark. <laughs> 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 like what do you, you know, what do you give someone who you can't even offer them robes you know well here's some bark <laughs> uh, and and he was living alone apparently and one day the thought came into his mind I wonder if I'm enlightened and uh, usually that you know it's very common that um People living alone, practicing alone, and practicing without really good qualified teachers will, will will start to wonder. I wonder if this is it. You know, I wonder what level of enlightenment I've reached now. Uh, what level of insights? And um, it's just normal. The mind will tend towards overestimation uh, of one's uh, insight and wisdom because compared to what we used to be like, it seems a lot better. So he was there wondering um, if he's fully enlightened yet. And, uh, you know, am I an arhat or not? Am I an arhat, I wonder. And uh, then um, a heavenly being called uh, Devas heard that. And this Deva had a karmic connection with Bahia from a previous life, apparently, according to the commentaries. In a previous time, they were practicing together very intently. They were striving for enlightenment. There was, there was a group of seven of them, and uh, they all decided in uh, a rather gung-ho fashion to climb to the top of a precipice with a ladder where there's a little space on top, but sheer cliffs all around, and they, they would climb to the top, and then they kicked the ladder away, and they said, we're just going to practice here either until we are enlightened or we die. And uh, 
uh, see, very quickly, um, some of them became enlightened. One, uh, in particular, um, gained the psychic power to be able to levitate and fly down to the village for alms food, which would be very helpful if you're staying on the top of a <laughs> precipice <laughs> without a ladder. Um, but to, uh, as an expression of their utter devotion to renunciation, uh, some of the ones that didn't get enlightened um, or reached a very high stage of, of realization. Um, well, one was Bahia, and he refused to eat the alms food that the, that the other brought back. Um, the other was willing to share. It wasn't like, oh, I've got alms food. <laughs> 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 you know, I can share it with you. No, he was willing to share it, but Bahia, in his determination, said, no. Um, I'm not going to eat the alms food. I'm going to keep practicing. If I don't, if I don't reach enlightenment, then I'm willing to pass away. And uh, he didn't reach enlightenment, and he passed away. Uh, but um, you know, through that effort and determination, he had favorable rebirths. And one of the the devas, one of the the one of the monks who had been practicing with him, then was reborn as this deva. And uh, not fully enlightened, but uh, um, I think had reached the was well, I think had reached the stage of anagami. But anyways, out of compassion for Bahia, watching over Bahia, was aware of the thought in Bahia's mind: Am I an arhan? Am I enlightened, or what? And then the deva came down and said, uh, said. Uh, Quote, you, Bahia, are neither an arhat, nor have you entered the path to arhatship. So, take that, and, you know, it's like, neither are you an arhat, nor, you're not even the right, on the right path, buddy. <coughs> right. You do not follow that practice whereby you could, could be an arhat, or enter the path to arhatship. So that was uh, pretty much uh, a complete um, rebuttal. Um, now, Bahia, he could have uh, just denied it, said, oh, it's just voices. But, um, to give him credit, um, he said, oh, well, if that's the case, then, yes, well, then, in the world, including the devas, where are there arhats who have entered the path to arhatship? And the deva said, there is Bahia in a far country town called Sawati, there the Lord now lives, who is the Arhant, the fully enlightened one. That Lord, Bahia, is indeed an Arhant, and he teaches the Dhamma for the realization of Arhantship. And uh, the Deva revealed the location of where the Buddha was staying at Sawati, which was uh, um, the one of the major monasteries where the Buddha stayed. <clears throat> and then Bahia of the bark cloth, profoundly stirred by the words of that Devata, then and there departed from where he was staying, stopping only for one night everywhere. On the, along the way, he traveled to Sawati, where the Buddha was staying in the Jetta wood at Anantapindika's monastery. <clears throat> okay, so uh, that shows that he had a tremendous amount of sincerity. As soon as he realized that he wasn't enlightened, he wasn't even on the right path, and he found, you know, he heard of a, of a teacher. Uh, who, who was fully enlightened, 
then and there departed, and he was on his way. So at, he arrives at the monastery, and uh, there are all these um, these bhikkhus uh, walking up and down, doing walking meditation, kind of similar to what we do around here, but probably a lot more of them. And uh, you know, he asked the monks, "Where's uh, where's the Blessed One? Where's the Lord Buddha?" Yeah. Uh, where's the Arahant? I want to go see the Enlightened One. And they said, well, uh, the Buddha's currently on alms route. He's gone into the village on alms route. So Bahia just uh, immediately went into town looking for the Buddha, uh, looking up and down the streets, trying to uh, follow, follow the Buddha, find him. And uh, so entering the town of Sawati, uh, he saw, you know, it's kind of like, going through the streets, and then he saw the Buddha for the first time. And uh, the sight, you know, is recorded as being very pleasing. You know, just just seeing the Buddha uh, was just so pleasing, lovely to see, uh, with calm senses and a tranquil mind, attained to perfect poise and calm, uh, restrained, a perfect one, watchful with restrained senses. And on seeing the Lord, then, uh, the Buddha, then... Uh, um, Bahia went up and fell down with his head at the Buddha's feet and said, Teach me the Dhamma, Buddha. Teach me the Dhamma so that it will be for my good and for my happiness for a long time. And uh, so the Buddha's on alms round and this man dressed in bark cloth throws himself at the Buddha's feet and said, Please teach me the Dhamma. And uh, and the Buddha said, um, no. <laughs> okay, that's the end of the story. <laughs> now no, the Buddha, though the Buddha said, the Buddha said, this is not the proper time and place, Bahia. Uh, we're on alms round, and uh, and Bahia, to his credit, is taking. Bahia said, It's difficult to know for certain, Reverend Sir, how long the Lord will live or how long I shall live. Please teach me the Dhamma, Lord. Teach me the Dhamma, oh, uh, Sukata, one who's well gone, so that it will be for my uh, uh, well, uh, well-being and happiness for a long time. And for a second time, the Buddha said, It is an unsuitable time, Bahia. We have entered among the houses for alms food. And then a third time, Bahaya made that same request. And there's a tradition in India, if you ask for something three times, you cannot be refused. Of course, please don't try that with me. (laughs) (laughs) So, So then, after being requested three times, the Buddha said this. Then, Bahaya, you should train yourself thus. In reference to the scene, there will be only the scene. In the herd, only the herd. In reference to the sensed, only the sensed. To the cognized, only the cognized. That is how you should train yourself. For when, when, for you... There will only be the seen in the seen, only the heard in the heard, only the sensed with reference to the sensed, and only the cognized 
to the cognize, then bahaya, there is no you in terms of that. When there is no you in terms of that, there is no you there. When there is no you there, you are neither here, nor yonder, nor between the two. Just this is the end of suffering. So, then Bahia, through hearing this brief explanation of the Dhamma from the Blessed One, right then and there, he attained full enlightenment. Uh, his defilements were completely swept away. So he obviously had a lot of uh, natural ability, what we call barami, um, uh, and uh, a very deep sincerity. A lot of, um, he was just very, very close. He just needed the right teaching. It was like his balloon was full. He just needed someone to, to uh, pop it for him. And so right then and there, Bahaya became fully enlightened in the village. And the Buddha continued on, on alms round. And then when the Buddha was coming out of alms round, uh, coming out of the city at the end of the alms round, and then he saw that Bahia had been killed by uh, a cow, a cow, uh, a mother cow with a calf. Um, and, um, you know, just um, mother animals, you know, when they have young, can become aggressive and fearful. And so... Uh, Bahia was actually killed uh, shortly after receiving that teaching. And when the Buddha saw this, he told his monks, um, you know, um, pick up, uh, uh, make, a, make a simple litter and, and carry um, Bahia back to the monastery, for he is uh, he's one of your companions in the spiritual life. And so they, they did so. And he probably wondered, you know, well, why... <clears throat> why makes uh, a special effort, you know, for this this someone who just showed up out of the blue, and, so, and because when they took them back to the monastery, what he said, well, cremate him and make a stupa for him, um, which is a sign of great respect. And uh, so the mother, other monks are curious, well, why why so uh, much respect for this stranger who's only wearing bark, and. Uh, and uh, so they asked him at the end of the sutta. Uh, and as they were sitting there, they said, the monks said to uh, to the Buddha, Bahia's body has been cremated, Lord, and his memorial has been built. What is his destination? What is his future state? And... Uh, And the Buddha replied, Bhikkhus, Bahia of the bark cloth was a wise man. He practiced according to the Dhamma and did not trouble me, trouble me by disputing about the Dhamma. Bhikkhus, Bahia of the bark cloth has attained final Nibbana, a full enlightenment. Which is an also an interesting st- statement. He said, he practiced according to Dhamma and he did not argue with me about the Dhamma. Obviously, probably there was some other people there who liked to argue with the Buddha or dispute. And then, on that occasion, um, the, uh, it's recorded that the Buddha uttered this um, stanza, a poem, a Dhamma poem, where neither water, nor yet earth, nor fire, nor air gain a foothold, 
Their gleam no stars, no sun sheds light. There shines no moon, yet there is no darkness reigned. When a sage, a Brahmin, has come to know this for himself through his own wisdom, then he is freed from form and formless, freed from pleasure and from pain. So, you don't have to wear bark to practice the teaching that Bhaya was given. And as it was useful and applicable then, it is still useful and applicable now. In the scene, it's just the scene. In the herd, it's just the herd. In everything that we sense, it's just a sensation. Uh, everything that, that happens mentally, thoughts, moods, emotions, it's all there. <clears throat> But then when you come back to the world and, um, you know, the, uh, it's good always just to come back to these fundamental truths and they always apply. Uh, they call Dhamma as uh, timeless. It doesn't change over time. One of the you know, the things that doesn't change over time are these, uh, the uh, characteristics, call three characteristics, that things are constantly changing. Uh-huh. And when things are constantly changing, they don't have the ability to fully satisfy because they're constantly changing. Once you try to hold on to something, then it's immediately gone. And when that's the case, it's impossible that there's actually a, a permanent self. You know, something which is unchanging, uh, an immutable, you know, unchanging aspect of ourself. So this is good to remember coming back to the modern world uh, as uh, the teachings of the Dhamma are, are timeless or akaliko. The ways of the world are also timeless and akaliko. So, no matter what the future brings, uh, no matter you know, no matter what's happening out there, it all seems to be uh, quite similar. Uh, hearts full of passion, jealousy, hate. Uh, for many things, it's just the same old story. I remember once, uh, you know, I'd go through periods of, of time in Thailand on retreat, not reading any newspapers, not hearing any news from the world, and then uh, come back and uh, after a period of time, see a newspaper, see a Newsweek, and the same old story. So the ways of the world don't really change. The ways of Dhamma don't really change. And... Um, and they really go in, in different directions. And uh, obviously in the world, you know, we, we, we try to bring the Dhamma into our lives as much as possible in every aspect of our, of our life. But what we uh, refer to as um, the worldly 
or worldly aims and values are, are, are those things which, which bring us away from the Dhamma, pull us away from the Dhamma, you know, are encouraging, are encouraging, are stimulating greed and desire, stimulating passions for this and that, stimulating um, irritation, all the things which encourage irritation and, and anxiety, stress, uh, depression, all the things which are encouraging uh, to be selfish. You know, and just to recognize uh, that these are, are aspects of the world which are, are going in the opposite direction of the Dhamma. And uh, so you have to be very vigilant uh, in the world. Uh, it goes true for all of us. <clears throat> so in many ways it's, you know, it's always the same, same old story. Uh, you know, the world will always welcome uh, the great passions. Uh, but, you know, when it comes right down to it, if you can just come back to remembering sati. Hmm? Sight is just a sight. Sound is just a sound. Sensed is just sensed. Cognized is just cognized. Right? That's all it is. And... Um, and then as time goes by we gradually gain a certain freedom bit by bit and uh, the, the passing of time is also uh, something that the Buddha encouraged us to reflect on you know, the process of aging uh, the preciousness of having the opportunity to practice when we when we do have this opportunity and really making the most of it, because time keeps slipping away. Time's going by, time's going by, time's going by, and uh, when we have this these very special conditions, very a huge number of causes and conditions are here to make it possible for us to practice in this way. And so, make the most of it. It's a precious time. <clears throat> I offer this for your reflection. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.